The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Hello, and welcome to Circling the Bases, proudly presented by Roto World and NBC Sports. My name is DJ Short, and with me here once again is Eric Samolski. I'm sure we'll get into a little postseason talk here at the top, but the purpose of this episode today is to do a little State of the Union, I guess we should say, of fantasy baseball with the 2023 regular season behind us. So we'll get into that for, for most of the show, but... Uh, yeah, let's let's talk some postseason at the top here, Eric. First off, sure. how's it going? How are you enjoying the playoffs so far? Uh, yeah, I'm enjoying them. I think the games have been really entertaining. Obviously, last night's uh, Braves Phillies game um, super entertaining. I think yep. that you know there were some weak, there were some trends, there were some weak spots uh, that I think we correctly identified on that on the pre the pre playoff podcast. Obviously, we thought it would be the Brewers who could capitalize on the on the Dodgers matchup. Um, yep. You know, I think the injury to Brandon Woodruff may have helped swing that in favor of the Diamondbacks, but the Diamondbacks are capitalizing on the Dodgers right now. We also identified that the Orioles were maybe not set up for playoff success. Um, and, you know, we thought it might be the Rays that capitalized on that. It's been the Rangers. Um, yep. And so it's, it's interesting. Um, I'm done with the talk of like whether this format hurts teams with the buy i think it's ridiculous mm-hmm. um yep. the astros last year won the whole thing and i don't know that they lost a game basically and they, they had a buy yep. um right. so I, I just think it's a narrative that's that needs to stop um and i'm excited with like you know the rangers playing really well up to their ability and the diamondbacks playing well there, there's been some exciting baseball yes i i think the wild card round was a bit of a bummer and that you yeah know, they were all they were all sweeps. Um, not ideal. So I'm sure Major League Baseball didn't love that. Um, and and just in general, you know, the, the reason there's expanded playoffs is because of money. I mean, everything's about money. So, yeah. um, and, but it also keeps teams relevant and keeps fan bases interesting. So I, mm-hmm. I do think there's some value in that. I think we just have to understand the idea that the best team isn't always going to win in October. And that's just right. the way it is. I- and that's and for people that like complain about that, I mean, that's the case with March Madness. That's the case in the yeah. NFL playoffs. Like it's the case in all in pretty much every postseason. You could argue that since the NBA does a best of seven in every single yeah. round, 
it maybe favors, you know, the better quote unquote better team um, more than any other postseason. But that's not the way it, it really works. And like, sure, if you want to make the argument that the wild card games could go back to being single games, like I don't necessarily mind that. You get the same amount of teams yeah. in the postseason. You you give a one game to see if they advance. Um, I think that's that's fine. Um, but I wouldn't. I think the narrative that this system is like quote unquote broken is a little far fetched. Right, exactly. I think a one game probably wouldn't be fair to the other division winner that they're they won like the Brewers won the Central, but they would sure. only have one play. So that's why there's three. I'm you know I'm assuming, and I I generally like the format. I would have wished for more competitive series. At least we're getting it now. Twins, Astros, uh, and Braves, Phillies. I mean Braves, Phillies is is so compelling. Yeah, so fun. Uh, Zach Wheeler was magnificent until he kind of ran out of gas toward the end. I believe he, he didn't give up a hit until the fifth inning. I think it was, mm-hmm. um, he was great. Uh, and you know, that, that play at the end of the game, Michael Harris was fantastic. Um, couldn't have asked for like a more exciting ending to yeah. kind of set up what we're going to see here moving forward as the series moves back to Philadelphia. And what I think, and we, we said this on the, in, in our postseason preview episode, I think the Phillies have the best home field advantage of any team in the playoffs. Right. Yeah, I I think so. I also, like, credit to Austin Riley. Like, we want to make all the comments about the Jeter flip in the – that at the the A's series back in the day when if Jeremy Giambi just slid into home like any normal human being, then we're never talking about that play. But that Austin Riley play was, like, incredibly heads up. Um, yep. and just really a really good example of a just really smart baseball swinging a game. And, you know, I, I will say like on a, on a text thread with guys that I was, that I played with in college, like we were talking, I was, I was like, maybe the Phillies are, are a better built postseason team. Cause it looked like sure. they were going to take a commanding lead again. And the right. Braves just kind of showed, you know, the grit and the talent that they, they have. And I, I think it's a really compelling matchup between these two. Well, I think you know where I stand on Phillies versus Braves, but I was entertained. It made me think of you that was just somebody saying, I, I just hope both teams lose. DJ's take on this series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, no, it was great. And, and you know, I want to be entertained first and foremost. So, you know, my, my bias aside, uh, my nihilism aside, I, I do – uh, mostly just wish for for fun baseball. And it looks like we're going to get that. So that's, that's good news. Uh, before we move on with the show here, remember NBA training camps are underway. We have exhibition games going on and we had a uh, Wemby's uh, preseason debut last night. Uh, that was super fun. He, man, he looked really good, uh, but here's your chance to get an assist with your fantasy draft with the road roll basketball draft guide. Visit NBCSports.com. And use the promo code HOOPS23 at checkout to score a 20% discount and a $10 e-gift card to Fanatics and free season tools all season long with your draft guide purchase. So check that out today. Later this week, we're going to have a Roto-World Basketball Draft Day on Thursday. Mock drafts, Q&As, articles, all sorts of good stuff. Um, So definitely check that out. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. 
it probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. So went into the stats here, comparing 2022 uh, to 2023, and there's really some stark differences mm-hmm. here. Um, you know, the effect of the new rules certainly has something to do with it. I think it's fair to say with a, with a number of these. Some, you know, maybe require greater explanation. Maybe some are just a blip. We'll see. But, you know, the one that stands out quite obviously is, is stolen bases uh, with the new rules here. I think everyone everyone has noticed that um, just the nature of the game changing as far as that's concerned. Uh, so we're going to throw some numbers at you. Stolen bases we'll start with because that's kind of the obvious one. So this season there were 3,503 stolen bases. Last season there was 2,486, almost 1,000 more stolen bases over the course of the season. And then there's this. Last season, 2022, 24 players with 20-plus stolen bases. This year, 51 players with 20-plus stolen bases. So again, double. Uh, basically that number from 24 to 51 with 20 plus steals. That's great. You know, more influx of speed in the game. And when I think about, we're writing these team roundups right now on rotorworld.com. Mm-hmm. When I think about what this means, to me, it just means we can extract more value out of more teams uh, and just makes more players fantasy relevant. I wonder if you, if you're thinking the same way. Yeah, I think it also um, it it makes it makes it so that you know, like there's some super super high totals, right? I mean, we know Acuna and Estre Ruiz and, and Corbin Carroll, but it means that most fantasy teams are gonna have a lot of steals. So if you were that person that was like, oh, I'll, I'll just you know I can find some speed on the waivers, like I can piece it together, like you need to have a plan for steals going into your draft because it's going to be easy to fall behind in the blink of an eye and, you know, essentially wind up punting steals if you're not getting your stolen bases. Now, the good news is like with 51 players with 20 or more steals, like you can find a lot, you don't have to get Acuna, right? You can get a lot of players who are stealing 20 bases. There's more ability for that, which means you know, we don't, we no longer need to kind of, I'm thinking of like, you know, Jared Dyson is the name that comes to my head, but I'm sure there's like, there's so many other actual, you know, I guess it was the Aldoberto Mondesi's, um, you know, the other, like, Rajay people call them rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The guys who you were like, they're going to give me nothing, but they might give me 25 steals. Well, yeah. with so many players getting 20 steals, I don't need that player anymore. Um, right. I don't need to, I don't need to put that guy on my radar. What does happen, though, is those players who don't steal at all, right? So, like, you're taking Jordan Alvarez. He has one steal this year. 
We know he's not going to run. You you have to now make sure that you have a, a clear plan in place because right. if you're taking somebody who steals so infrequently, like even Mike Trout now, Mike Trout yep. had one steal this year. He has not stolen in the past. If you're going to keep bumping Mike Trout up or taking him early in drafts, you're going to be behind the eight ball and steals in a way that's way more concerning this year than it has been, or sorry, next year than it has been in years past. And you have to make sure you have a clear plan to rack up lots of steals from the other players you have, because somebody's jumping out with Ruiz and Acuna or Corbin Carroll and has a 60 steal head start on you from just one spot on a roster. Right, exactly. Um, and I thought it was interesting, like some players we saw make a major leap this year in stolen bases who you wouldn't expect, others who didn't run at all. Uh, Kyle Schwarber last year had 10 stolen bases. This year he had none, <laughs> which is pretty interesting. You wouldn't, you thought maybe it would be the opposite. Uh, Francisco Lindor got to 30 stolen bases when I, I think he had 31 stolen bases combined between 2021 and 2022. So that was that was unexpected, too. Um, Brandon Nimmo, another Mets example, I think through the first 10 games of the season, he had three stolen mm, bases. Yeah. And then after that, he had none. So yeah. at the beginning of the year, he looked like a player who would benefit because he is speedy. But even with his own evaluation of himself, he's like, I'm just not good at stealing bases for whatever reason. So even players maybe you think would benefit, it didn't happen necessarily. Yeah, I yeah, yes, it's 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 weird. The Nimmo stat is so weird to me because mm-hmm. he really did start out looking like he was gonna, you know, top what he did before, or or you know, kind of at least put up a good number. I think there's a a bunch of guys here now. You used to the power guys. We talked about Jordan Alvarez and like Matt Olson. You're used to having to plan around that, but like there are some guys that are intriguing draft targets that if you're looking at their stolen base totals this year, they're giving you nothing. Like Josh Young had one steal. Corey Seager, we've talked about in the past, two steals. Um, you know, no uh, Alex Bregman, three steals. Um, you know, these are guys where if you're taking them on your roster, you just need to understand that it adds a little bit more risk than it did in years past because you really need to, to balance that out. Um I messaged you before we started. I, I thought what was crazy, just from a stat perspective, it doesn't change the analysis, but the caught stealing percent in the league this year was 19.8%. So 19.8% of base runners who tried to steal were thrown out. That is the first time in the history of that stat that it's been under 24% for the league. So, <laughs> I mean... I also, you have to wonder if like, if teams start looking at this and we even push the envelope even more next year, right? Guys are not getting thrown out. Why not? Why not try to run more? Like, why not push it until, until they show you that they can throw you out? Right. I thought we would see more pitch outs this year. Uh, And, you know, I think I saw a couple, but really not very often. I do wonder if we see more of that as teams study what happened this season or maybe they just want to run even more it's hard to say but i I feel like that's something that maybe teams should utilize again could be yeah i I mean i think you'll see a lot of um i think you'll see a lot of strategic things change um based on you know the research that teams do in the offseason as as you see all the time 
Yeah. One thing I have to say about the postseason, going back to that, is just how crisp the games feel. I think the big problem with the postseason in the past, and yeah, there's lots of pitching changes and that kind of stuff, but those games would be just complete slogs, like three and a half, four hours. Like That's really hard to keep people's attention. Even in a good game or a close game, you're going to see more of these uh, you know, relief uh, pitcher changes and whatnot. But uh, these games being two and a half, you know, three hours uh, here and there so far, much more uh, easy to keep people's attention. And I've mm-hmm. really enjoyed the pace of play of those games. Yeah, me too. Um, and I think, you know, we'll – the pace of play is great. Um, you know, we've heard a lot of the narrative of like, oh, the pitch clock is leading to all these Tommy Johns. Um and I do think it's it's naive to suggest that the pitch clock isn't having any impact on pitcher injury, but I do think we've gotten a little lazy with the narrative of every pitcher injury. We just say it's the pitch clock, um, right. and I, I I don't think that's entirely correct. I think it may take us a few years to really be able to determine how much the pitch clock has an impact on pitcher health. I think it does have an impact, um, and yeah. I think we'll see going forward, um, which maybe leads a little bit segue into the the tweet that. Um, we were chatting about before, if you want to mention that one. Yes. So let me pull up this tweet from uh, Nick Pollock from Pitcher List. So uh, he put this out, I believe it was last week. So uh, the tweet is <laughs> says, a reminder that only 15 of the top 31 starting pitchers by average draft position started over 24 games in 2023. That's more than 50% of your starters missing significant time where you're looking for an anchor for your staff. So Shohei Otani, Sandy Alcantara, Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, Shane McClanahan, Brandon Woodruff, Alec Manoa, Max Freed, Hugh Darvish, Robbie Ray, Joe, Joe, Joe Musgrove, Nestor Cortez. That's a lot of big names that we were counting on who were drafting that top 25 starting pitcher group. Obviously, yeah. I think the, the pitch clock situation, I think – it's got to have some impact just as in terms of having to throw at that max effort, especially these guys mm-hmm. who are in like really high velocity. You think there's, there should be a, some accumulation effect. It's just really hard to quantify it right now. But are you going to be a little bit more shy about grabbing a starting pitcher early next season? Yeah, so for me, this cements the strategy that I've had for the last couple of years, which is trying to – get one starting pitcher that I feel really comfortable about in the first few rounds and then waiting and attacking starting pitching in the middle. Um, And for me, that's been a a beneficial strategy because I spend so much time analyzing starting pitchers that I just feel like I have a comfort level with the pool that's maybe a little uh, stronger than my comfort level with the hitter pool um, just because of how much time I spend analyzing that. But I think that this, this tweet that Nick sent out kind of bears that out, which is like, you're seeing, I mean, many people have argued this in the past, that there's no safe starting pitcher, right? Because just right. The, the the idea of pitching, the motion of pitching is so straining on your arm that any pitcher could get injured any season. Um, and I know we want to say like guys like Glass now are more risky than other pitchers, but the truth is there's an inherent risk to all of them. So yeah. for me... The idea of doubling down and saying, oh, well, if pitchers are risky, I'm going to make sure I get two early on that are not risky and lock in my rotation is like that. That to me is not a thing because all of them are are risky. And if yeah. we're if you're you're 
drafting a position that has inherent volatility in your early picks. And what do we always say about our early picks is we we don't want to miss. We want that safety because if you miss on your first, second, third, fourth round pick even, it puts you in a real hole as I know from drafting Edwin Diaz in like the third round in a lot of drafts early this year. It's like, and that's not even a starting pitcher, but it puts you in, in a hole. So right. I would much rather load up on hitters early where those guys have a safer floor because generally speaking, hitter injuries are not as long lasting as pitcher injuries. So even if a hitter gets dinged up, you're able to get more production throughout the course of a season. And then I'm going to hammer starting pitching in the middle rounds and try to get as many possible options there. Also knowing that there will be turnover and I'll be able to work the wire. And um, that, that strategy has worked for me in the past. And I think Nick's tweet makes that even more crystallized for me. So if you remember, we talked about the Tout Wars mock draft, and maybe it's like three or four weeks ago. Uh, just looking at it now, there were four pitchers selected within the first two rounds. That was 30 picks altogether. So Spencer Strider, Garrett Cole, Kevin Gosman, Luis Castillo, that's it. And, you know, I, I don't think we had really, we hadn't finished the season yet, but I, I think that speaks to kind of where we are because I'd say two, three years ago, there were a lot of pitchers going mm -hmm. in the first and second round. I think it was probably eight or more. I think people were a lot more aggressive on starting pitching. The other thing is in terms of competing uh, in ERA and, and strikeouts, I think things have changed there too. And I think that's because of the uptick in offense we saw this season. So the league ERA this year was 4.33. Last year, it was 3.97. So that's a, that's a pretty sizable jump there. And also, there's fewer starting pitcher wins in general there was this season. Last year, there was 1,443 starting pitcher wins. This year, 1,402. Uh, so pitchers not going as deep. Teams uh, putting up a lot more runs where the games aren't being decided until you know more of the middle to late innings here. Uh, and then looking big picture just in terms of uh, home runs and batting average. So we weren't sure what we would see with the, the shift changes, right? Mm -hmm. We just assumed there would be an uptick in batting average, but uh, hard to say by how much. So uh, batting average this year in the league was 248. Last year was 243. So up by five points, but I think, and then batting average on balls in play was seven points higher, 297. Last year was 290. I think what was most interesting though was the increase in power quite a bit higher this season. There was 5,868 home runs during the regular season. This year, last year, 5,215, so an increase of uh, 600, roughly 650. There were 102 players with 20-plus home runs this year. Last year, there were 71. That's a huge increase. Yeah. And I'm curious what you think of that. Like, is that a byproduct of the pitch clock? It's so funny because like the like underlying under all of that is that we never know what Major League Baseball is doing with the baseballs. Yeah, so, that's a good point. Good point. So like we can analyze all we want about how that maybe is an impact of the new rules. And it could have just been that they're different baseballs. I mean, that we know they're we know they're experimenting with different baseballs at different levels. We know there are players who believe that there are different baseballs within different games or time periods. Yeah. Um, so these things like these, the power barrages are, are really kind of hard to 
determine. Um, yeah, like you could make your you could make a case that if pitcher if pitchers are sped up, you know they're not as they're not as in rhythm, which means they're going to miss location more. Um, if they miss location more, which we're also seeing, there was an increase in in walks per nine um, this year of 0.2 uh, per game. So if there's an increase in uh, walks and there's an increase in in poor command, then there'd be an increase in pitches left in really hittable places. But it's so hard to to determine whether the pitch clock is is the cause of that. Um, I think that we knew the the banning of the shift would create more offense. We know that that has happened, and so I think you're seeing you know your guys like Schwarber and Gallo and like this year Trent Grisham and you know guys who are hitting around 200. It's harder to overcome that when yeah. the batting average across the league is higher. It does mean that you can find more guys with higher average, but it means your your target number is higher. So taking that batting average risk, if you're saying, oh, I can take a 220 hitter because it's not that far below the major league average. Now it's a little bit farther below. So you just kind of need to adjust your target that way. And as you pointed out, there's more there are more hitters with 20 home run power. Um, I will say, you know, I I've been doing an early um, mock with some of the pitcherless guys. Uh, you mentioned Nick, obviously, um, was you know gracious enough to invite me to join that. Um, and I'll when that when that draft board is out, we can chat about it on the podcast. Yeah. But what I found is like there are a lot of five category hitters that were not five category hitters in the past, but there are a lot of like 2020 guys, 2015 yeah. guys with solid average and counting stats, and all of a sudden. You know, you're seeing like, okay, I could take a pitcher this round, or I could take a guy who's going to contribute in five hitting categories. Um, you know, like I don't think sneakily like people know that like Nolan Jones was a 2020 guy with a two with basically a 300 batting average, and he's right. you know not going super high in drafts. Like these are the guys that you can get in a round, you know, rounds four, five, six, where people used to just like cram in pitching, um, and so I think that really should change how we draft in 2024. For sure. Absolutely. Well, we'll have some more takeaways here in a second, but keep in mind, Bill's Mafia will be out in full force this Sunday night when Josh Allen and company take on Daniel Jones, maybe, and the Giants in Buffalo. Coverage of the game starts at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on NBC and Peacock. I feel like the Giants are on prime time like every week right now, <laughs> getting shown to the country, not looking so great. Yes, it's rough that uh, we had a gr- the Giants had a great year, followed up by multiple offensive line injuries and Saquon Barkley hurt, and now they're on TV all the time. Um, yes, but the I mean, Bills Mafia will be out, but Bills Mafia is uh, despondent after uh, the Jacksonville game, uh, losing yeah. three starting defenders for the entire season. Um, so it's the walking wounded versus the walking wounded on uh, Sunday Night Football. Yeah. I believe Josh Allen, there was like something that came out before that game that like he basically said, like, I'm not comfortable being outside the Eastern time zone. Well, <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, yeah wasn't further great. proof of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, uh, we can. That's a uh, discussion for another time. The the all the London situation that, that went on the travel situation. Also, the London Jaguars is what we were calling yes. moving forward. 
Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So I thought an interesting stat that, that you threw at me was the increase in saves, uh, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so this year there were 1,241 total saves, which is the most since 2018. What I also noted when I broke it down, there were 82, but so there were more saves. However, 82 relievers had three sa- at least three saves this year. It was 98 last year. 53 relievers this year had at least five saves. It was 64 last year. So there are more saves, but there are fewer of those guys you throw at the end of your bench and say, oh, maybe this guy will give me two, three saves along with good ratios and um, you know everything else. But there were 17 relievers this year who got at least 25 saves, and that number was 11 last year. Um, so there are a little more saves to be had at the top, at the top end, um, but it's not being spread out as far. Uh, and you know, I, I think for me, my personal takeaway on that is, I think, again, it could just be a one-year blip, but I do think it signals for us the ability to find closers who are going to get a meaningful number of saves in later rounds, right? Like if you can get if seventeen to twenty say uh, closers are going to push twenty saves, then I don't have to hammer closers all the time at the top. I still think it might not be a bad idea to get your one closer early. I know this year it didn't work out for the people that were you know taking Hendricks and and Diaz, um, but a lot of those early guys, like even with Class A's struggles, he put up a lot of saves. Hader put up a lot of saves, so. You know, those guys are in who are in situations that we know and we trust, like you can still get those guys early, but then I would just sit out. I my takeaway is to sit out those middle rounds where you're like, is Emilio Pagan gonna get saves? Like, right. you know, should I take David Robertson? Like, I, I would just I would wait and see which guys are there towards the end. And you know, you get your guys like Will Smith this year who wound up losing the job at the end, but had a handful of saves. AJ Puck, who lost the job at the end, but had a, a meaningful number of saves. So I think that's kind of the the takeaway um, if this remains more than a one-year blip. So with this increase in, in total saves, like you said, the most since 2018, I wonder how much, of, and this is just, I, I didn't do the research on this, but I'm, I'm curious if this could be part of it closer games just by virtue of there being more offense 
in the league, there's just naturally going to be more save opportunities. Does that does that does that check out with you? I th- that was my takeaway too. Um, that more runs overall would probably mean fewer blowouts, which would probably mean more saves. Um, you know, I, I again we have to do research and see like. Are there more three inning saves? But I would I would assume there's less of those because there are fewer pitchers getting saves, so you're not getting those like yeah. really random ones. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's probably the case, which makes me feel like it's probably not just a one year blip if the offense overall is up. Um, and we'll see. I mean, I think that there was this narrative that like closers weren't necessarily as valuable anymore because teams were being more more fluid but mm-hmm. i feel i still think the save is still valuable right it's still a, a right. picture uh, teams are still looking for guys they can trust at the end of the game it might just be yeah. two guys instead of one um right so you know i i think it's meaningful it's something's definitely to dig into there are obviously you know great people out there who who look specifically just at relievers that i'm thinking of like the greg jewett's of the world who i'm sure will have a lot of information for us to to digest and you know take in with all this stuff as well. And I, I wonder if it's changed kind of general generationally, but generally I, I feel that relievers like to know their role and their place in the bullpen. Um, and if that's better communicated, uh, you know, I, I think that, that there should be kind of like okay, you are our high leverage closer pitcher maybe there's one that that you know usually you use in the seventh or eighth thing but i wonder if we could get back to that where it, it's a little bit more clear as opposed to the scattershot approach i think pitchers would generally pitch better knowing what their role is exactly yeah i, I think i think a lot of pitchers have come out and said to that effect um and now it could just be Hey, we have two guys, and depending on you know righty lefty or yeah. or stuff like that, and that that again is you know easier for us as as fantasy managers. It's also you know just easier for the pitchers to be able to know how to kind of uh, to prepare for that. I mean, you know, we're again we have to see you know just how this shakes out. I think we're looking at like you know innings per start numbers and complete game numbers and all of this stuff that's continuing to go down. So we know the the importance of the bullpen is going to continue to go up. So I, I think we're still in this point where we're shaking out like exactly how bullpens are, are going to be used. Um, but I think some sort of, I think that ridiculous fluidity is probably not conducive to long-term success. So we had dramatic rule changes this year, which I think overall, you know, for the better. I think as we as we look forward here to 2024, I mean, who's to say what may change during the offseason? Of course, there's conversation about uh, the, the robot strike zone, automated strike zone. I don't know when exactly that's coming and, you know, what kind of impact that will have. I, I do think it will have an impact in terms of framing numbers that we've mm-hmm. seen uh, catcher stealing strikes um, and what the fallout that's going to be moving forward with teams. I, I guess we'll just have to, uh, to wait and see with that, but that that's one thing I would, I would keep an eye on. And I'd also keep an eye on what the exact strike zone is going to be. 
Is the strike zone going to be lowered? Is it going to be tailored toward the height of the specific player, or is it going to be more of like this is the strike zone in the middle, you know, middle of the plate? I, I think those are all things to be determined that could make a big impact in terms of pitcher effectiveness. Yeah, I think the catcher thing is interesting because if you no longer have to worry about framing, then you'll obviously still need to worry about blocking. Um, and I think that that is often an underrated thing that, that people forget when you're talking about catching is like, Oh, you could just, if you don't have to frame, just throw anybody with a good arm back there and they can cut down the running game. Well, but if a pitcher doesn't feel confident throwing their best slider, which might miss in the dirt because they don't trust the guy to block it, then pitchers aren't going to throw those pitches effectively and they're going to leave them up in the zone and they're going to get hit and yada, yada, yada. So blocking will always be a crucial component of catching, but you may see it shift more toward guys like, think of like old Jorge Posada, right? Posada was a converted infielder who, if you watch those games, his receiving was pretty terrible a lot of times, but he had a great arm um, and he could hit. And so he, he got a lot of action in a way that I don't think he would in the current version of baseball. But I think now if we start shifting to an automated strike zone, guys like that will come back into vogue behind the plate where it's like, can you throw and block? Okay. I don't really care if you don't have soft hands, if you stab at things like we're, we're that's, that's not relevant to us as long as you actually physically catch the ball. Um, and then the other thing we're going to have to keep in mind is we know, as I mentioned before, that major league baseball is, experimenting with different types of baseballs and the seams on those baseballs and whether they're pre-tacked or not pre-tacked. Um, and that comes with like after the world baseball classic, because in different uh, foreign professional leagues, they use different types of baseballs. Um, and so that will have a drastic impact on uh, pitching pitch movement, all that kind of stuff. If we see baseball make a, a specific change there. So that's one thing down the, down the pike that I think, could be, uh, make another meaningful change. And we also saw this year with the sticky stuff. There were a few players who were suspended. Max Scherzer is, you know, the most prominent of that group. I still think one of the outstanding issues in baseball is finding an agreed upon substance uh, that pitchers can use, whatever that is. Uh, I think the goal ultimately is to make the game safer because you know, you, you, we've seen a lot of uh, hit by pitches, but the goal is ultimately, you know, these guys are throwing 95 plus most of the time. Uh, you want the pitchers to be able to control where the ball is going. Sometimes, yes, uh, pitchers will take advantage of these substances, but overall, I think it's a safety thing for the game. Yeah. Um, there are some interesting things, again, just while we're talking about these rules. So Major League Baseball has used historically um, the Atlantic League which is an MLB sponsored league. They use it historically to like test out these new rules and some of the things they were testing in 2023, which we'll just be curious to see how it works down the, down the road. If it becomes a thing, one of them was the designated pinch runner um, mm -hmm. where you designate a pinch runner ahead of the game. And that player can be substituted uh, for a base runner in any situation. And then that starter can be reinserted into the game. So who knows if that, that seems to be like the, the most, the wildest one. Um, and yeah. we'll see if that actually happens, but then you go back to like, okay, I'll draft the Jared Dyson's of the world. Yeah. If he can literally pinch run for, you know, in any situation in the game. Um, yeah. I don't see that one happening. What I do. One thing I thought was interesting is, um, 
teams will lose their DH if their starting pitcher does not go five innings. I love that. I um, I would think that would be so fun yeah. personally. And so, obvi- it, yeah, obviously, like I'm sure there's an injury component to that. Um, but I think that that would be interesting. Uh, be interesting for pitcher wins again um, as a stat, and be interesting just for for bullpen usage if they did something like that. So those are some things to keep in mind. They're also continuing to play around with how many disengagements pitchers get. Um, And if they keep limiting those, I think you might see even more base running, right? If instead of two disengagements, it's one, which is what they were experimenting with this year in the Atlantic League, then again, you may see stolen bases tick up even more if they know a pitcher only has one pickoff the whole time. Yeah. I feel like pitchers generally weren't using their disengagements anyway. I feel like they would do one, and then that then the the base runner would run anyway. So it didn't yeah. it didn't really True. matter. So True. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that could be interesting for sure. And I, I think part of this like uh, taking away the DH thing you were talking about, the DH hook rule, whatever they're calling it, is to put the attention on the starting pitcher because like the difference between baseball and football and basketball is like those are star driven games the quarterback has the ball for a good portion of the game uh, in the nba there's only you know there's only five players on each side on the court at any given moment with yeah. baseball there it's you know trout comes up four times a game you know what i mean uh, and so to really emphasize the starting pitchers and make them into stars uh, and turn the focus toward them like it would be a quarterback so i think some of this is about marketing more than anything yeah, I, I would agree with that for sure. Um, I will I will say an interesting stat um, that I saw, which I think is connected to the banning of the shift, um, is this year we had the fewest errors per game ever in Major League history. Um, and granted, it was 0.52, which is just slightly down from last year's 0.54. Um, but I do think you're seeing... Um, better defensive performance across the board, um, which I think is, you know, impactful if you're talking about fantasy because you're talking about, um, you know, what that means for pitching um, and potentially also what it means for, uh, you know, players positionally. Um, I think we saw that where, like, we talked at the beginning of the year, like the Marlins went with a really bold strategy up the middle with Joey Wendell and Larissa Arias, who were bad defenders, um, and I really do think their starting pitching suffered for it. You know, guys, ground ball heavy guys like Sandy Alcantara had bad yeah. years. And I really do think the defense not being able to shift to offset the limited range of those players was impacted. And so that's something to, to think about, you know, going forward, too, is if maybe teams tried something this year and now they're going to go, well, that that wasn't helpful to our pitching staff. I need a rangy shortstop. I need a rangy second baseman. I can't now have a second baseman who can't field, you know, five feet to each side, knowing that I can just shift somebody to, to cover him. So those are some things to keep in mind um, next year as well, in terms of how it impacts playing time for certain positionless players. So uh, one conspiracy theory that's out there in, in baseball X, I guess we'll call it these days, is that nothing was an error this season. Basically, the scoring was very generous toward the hitters, and the conspiracy theory out there was that uh, Major League Baseball wanted to promote the fact that there was increased offense, so it was being like dictated that everything should be a hit, 
even when it should have been an error. I don't know if there's anything to that, but I think if it was close, it was probably going to be a hit this year. Personally. Yeah. I, I guess I would have to go back and and watch all of the, uh, you know, the questionable calls though. I, I will say that like, you know, we, we've kind of said, there's a lot of instances where like something is a hit because it didn't touch a fielder's glove, even though like the fielder was under it and tripped or like sneezed and his right. glove moved and the ball hit the ground. Like we have all these instances where you watch the game and you're like, that's not a hit. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't, I, I think it's probably overblown to say everything, but I'm sure there's some. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this was fun to kind of go through some of the, just the stats that we're looking at now in the regular seasons over increase in power, increase in stolen bases, higher batting average, higher ERAs, uh, more runs per game across Major League Baseball. Uh, this season, the number of runs per game was 4.62 runs per game. This year, last year, 4.28. Um, so even from like a betting perspective, if you're going into games, like, you know, this is stuff to use to your advantage. I'm sure the books will correct this going into next year. Uh, but generally even the games that, you know, between two kind of middling offenses, chances are there was a little bit more offense this year, partially because it's stolen bases, more runners in scoring position, Mm -hmm. but also power was on the rise. Yeah. Can I, I'll ask you one thing to, to wrap it up, but I'm curious your take on this. We just talked about how. A lot of starting pitcher injury, a lot of starting pitchers were getting injured. So there's not that security in starting pitching. We also talked about how league ERA is way up. Mm-hmm. So if you're heading into a draft, does that make you feel more tempted to really try to get the quote unquote safe starting pitcher? Or does that make you say starting pitching is a bit of a mess? And there's going to be lots of like rolling value throughout the year. So I'd rather just draft knowing that I'm going to be using the waiver wire a lot to find somebody who's has a good string of starts or is looking good, you know, in this stretch, et cetera. Right. I think a couple of years ago, my approach was to take two starting pitchers within my first like five picks. That will not be the case next year. I think just, just general paranoia. I will still want a starting pitcher, you know, within the first three or four rounds. I, I think I'll just, I have to do that just because I've been accustomed to doing it that mm-hmm. way. But I'd say 10 years ago, like 2008, 2009, you waited on starting pitching. It was all filling up position players. And then you'd hit starting pitching in the middle rounds. And I, I wonder if maybe we'll go back to that to some extent, but you know, this year we saw closers go early, elite closers. I still think we're going to see that next year, even with, like you said, there were there were more saves coming from more pitchers this year. Meaning, I think you said there were seventeen uh, with twenty five. Got at least twenty. Yeah, I mean that's like that's a good number, but I still think like the elite closers are going to go early. Probably if you want one of the top closers, whether it's Hader, Diaz, Classe, whatever it is, Devin Williams, you're probably going to have to get them by the fifth round for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, no, I don't think I'm going to be as aggressive uh, as aggressive with starting pitching next year. Yeah. I think I agree with you. I think there are people who will look at those stats and say, well, if league ERA is way up, I need to make sure I get a handful of starters whose ERA is going to be down. Um, I get it. And my, get and it. my response to that would just be, I think all of these stats are signaling that this is a volatile position and generally speaking, when something is really volatile, you don't want more of that thing. Um, <laughs> or you don't want more of that thing at a high cost. You're going right. to want 
more of that thing at a lower cost, hoping that you find something that's less volatile and then you can kind of like keep churning um, to, you know, find your Kyle Bradishes of the world who wind up, you know, turning into something that that's useful. Um, and I think also like bring back the boring starting pitcher, right? Like bring back the guy like, like Logan Webb who doesn't strike people out, but tends to have really strong ratios. And I don't know that you're like going into a draft saying, I want Logan Webb, but I just think you're, you're realizing that there's a lot of volatility the one thing that he does that's less volatile than others is controlling his ratios that they tend to always be down. So if it comes to a point where like he's sitting there like that, that adds a little bit of safety in a, in a position that doesn't have a lot of safety. So I think that sometimes like, and myself included, we fall in love with, you know, the big swing and miss pitchers and think about the crazy upside they have. Um, but sometimes the safe guys um, are also, also provide you with meaningful value right so maybe look at the whip category i know it's like not, not like yeah. a perfect saber metric stat um but look at that there's a difference between you know blake smell kodai senga you know walked a lot of batters this year maybe look right. at that and see where the values might be it's whip and runs to me are the categories within you know pitching and hitting categories that tend to be overlooked even though they are actual like nobody ever talks about runs even though it's a a category that counts just the same as everything else. Just like right. we don't really talk about whip. We, we hint at it a little bit, but it seems to be the least important of the five categories, even though there are, cause we have this narrative out there that pitchers can't control like inducing soft contact or whatever, but we, right. we know pitchers who command the strike zone. We know pitchers who don't give free passes. We know pitchers who will, generally speaking, have a lower whip because they're not giving away bases. Um, right. And so I, I really do think that that's, you know, that's important going forward um, is to kind of like to maybe look at the security in those guys. And, you know, you're like, why was Zach Eflin so good this year? I mean, besides getting 15 wins, he had the second best whip in baseball. You know, yep. George Kirby. Like Logan Webb, Lo Logan Gilbert, like these are these are guys who I think sometimes we overlook because you know their K per nine numbers aren't like really sexy, but there's something to you know the 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 solid ratios that they give you. Yeah, Kodai Senga's whip this year was one point two two, pretty high, and then even Blake Snell with a two two five ERA, his whip was one point one nine, and I'm not saying you shouldn't pick those guys, but when you look to the draft board next year, and granted, Senga's control got better as the season moved along and he sure. got more comfortable, um, but that's a separator um, in leagues. So I would definitely take maybe take a look at that. I might do that too. Like take a look at that this offseason and see. You know, there might be some surprising names in there. I mean, I think for a long time Joe Musgrove was shining in mm -hmm. that category before he even broke out because the the peripherals were so good. Yeah, there are some names that like if you just I mentioned, obviously, you know, Kirby and Logan Gilbert. If you look, you know, also this year, like uh, Tyler Wells, who, you know, the Orioles had to shut down for innings concerns. But like, you know, 1.07 whip, that was the eighth best in baseball. Um, you know, Kyle Bradish was up there too. Um, Bobby Miller of the Dodgers, 17th in baseball in whip as a rookie. 
So if we assume that there's some growth there for him, I mean, you know, there are some intriguing names there. Uh, Chris Sale, as terrible as we thought he was, had a 1.13 whip and almost 11 strikeouts per nine. Um, so that is kind of enticing uh, for a player who I still think you're going to get at a really depressed price will, next yeah. year because he was hurt this year and he, on the surface, didn't look great. Um, so these are just some interesting stats to play around with as you as you do your offseason prep whenever you decide to do it. it doesn't have to be in October, obviously. Yeah, we're we're freaks and we're doing that. <laughs> uh, so we'll discuss your mock draft soon enough. I'd be, you know I'd be really interested to dig on dig in on the analysis there. We'll be back next Tuesday with another show. We'll talk a little more postseason. Uh, we'll t- talk a little more big picture about the season uh, we just experienced regular season. Uh, and look ahead toward next year a little bit as well. Remember to subscribe to Circling the Bases wherever you get your podcasts. You can actually find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports. Also, check out the Rotoworld Football Show. Of course, season well underway. We're what? We're in the week six uh, mm-hmm. now. Um, I'm doing very well so far. But a lot of injuries, a lot of high-profile injuries. So... Uh, get out there on the waiver wire, and those guys will help you out. Roto Football Show, check it out. Also, follow us on Twitter or X if you don't already. Eric is at Samsky NYC. I'm at DJ Short. Take care, everyone. Enjoy the postseason. We'll see you next time. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.